So Sunday night I watched the Oscars and I was texting you the live reactions I had to things winning. I feel like I would have enjoyed that more than actually watching them myself. Uh, I would agree. There were a lot of things that were kind of weird about the Oscars, but uh, the surprise Eminem performance, pretty great. Uh, Although another year of low ratings that's being reported uh, from the Oscars, uh, some of the big takes... from it was uh, Parasite uh, won major awards at the Oscars. People Got were excited. Four, uh, four Oscars, and it was the first international film to win Best Picture. Best Director. And, yeah, you're right, Best Picture. It, it just won all of that stuff, which I'm, I'm very happy for Bon Joon Ho. That's pretty crazy. And uh, people on the internet lost their minds and mostly support, but there were a few people who were angry, which to those people, get over it. Just it's, shut up, people. Just stop. It's just an award show, which it I, is. I don't think I've met anybody who hated Parasite. Most people I, really liked it. That's all that I'm hearing is that it was a great film. Yeah. So I liked other films on that list but i totally can see why parasite won and i have no quarrel and uh did you see uh neither john williams uh john williams did not win best uh for best uh soundtrack i completely skipped over that oh my god i i need who did end up winning oh man her name escapes me but it was oh it was a joker yeah it was for joker um and uh, I was actually kind of surprised by that, but, I, you know, she was so humble and stuff like that. I don't think I've ever watched the Oscars. I know it's having, uh, I don't think I've watched the Oscars before and seen a female composer win. And uh, I was very happy for her, you know? See, it seemed like this year, more so than any other year that I can remember, people were nominated and won that truly deserved it. And I feel like, a lot like the majority of people were happy and there wasn't that much controversy because like we've talked about this before where like looking at the slate of nominees i mean it was just there was so much excellence just from top to bottom that i don't think there was really a way to for anybody to be legitimately mad over anybody winning in any category yeah i i would agree like the nominees were very stacked and even um i guess for the 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 adapted screenplay with jojo rabbit going uh to taika watiti i thought that was super awesome oh yeah Uh, it was such a good story but all all of the nominees for that were incredible and i was just blown away by how tough the competition was across all the categories even ford versus ferrari for sound design i i think i called that one and i was i was like john the sound of the cars is amazing and then you see like all the other things all the other places in that category uh it's visual effects end game star wars all these amazing movies they didn't win either it was crazy it was i i am starting to see a lot more diversity i would say in in every category and I mean, especially for this year to have an international film win for, I mean, let's face it, it, the Oscars are not for international film other than like maybe one category. And I think for this to be such a big, um, I don't want to say controversy, but like it was such a big event this year. 
um, I think it, it brought out a lot of good and bad in people. But overall, I mean, I, I think it's celebrating the fact that there's a lot more diversity that's starting to be interesting, I would say, to the to average moviegoer. And that's finally being recognized in these types of awards. Yeah. Uh, I did see from the Oscars people like um, Chris Rock and Steve Martin started off the show and they were making jokes about um, equality in the Academy as far as like uh, female directors. Oh, and, uh, yeah, um, directors and actors, yeah. Yeah, female directors, actors, and uh, just more uh, African-American, black female female art and directors just in general, their movies as well, um, having more diversity in the field, especially when it came to the best picture, uh, the best picture list and best director. There were no female directors in that. And it was quite an interesting thing because... Uh, we were talking about earlier, um, not on the podcast, but about this subject where there is an industry that I have watched that has changed the narrative on diversity and has done it over a long stretch of time, but it happened. And that's the sporting industry, uh, sports. That's just it. Major leagues. Uh, you know, if you want to win, uh, a championship or a title, you have to have the best athletes. You know, are you going to win in football with an all-white team? Probably not. Um, you have to have best the best athletes, whether they be black, Hispanic, you know, from the you know from Asia, wherever, Europe or whatever to you, uh, or. South America for base, you know, mostly baseball. It's like, you know, white players aren't on top anymore. There are a few that are really, really good, but it mostly comes from places in Latin America and the Caribbean. Uh, this is an, a, an industry that if you, to win, it comes from the top. And when it comes to movie studios, we don't see that. We don't see a lot of big budget films for minorities being made. I mean, Moonlight won Best Picture for the Oscars, but it wasn't like, you know, Paramount or Sony were behind it. Black Panther was in the MCU, which was a fantastic film. Oh, know? yeah. And I think that that's probably the better idea of a, of a big blockbuster going really, really well and not enough praise given to it. Yeah, and I, I, I think it, it all comes down to... I mean, honestly, it comes down to the fans and the studios. And the fans are going to see what movies they are interested in and what they connect with the most. And so then in, in, in correlation with that, the studios are going to make films based on what's popular and what makes money because they're a business. So if enough people go out and support these types of films that, that they feel like they are represented in, then the studios have no choice, if they want to make money at least, than to make more films like that. So really, I mean, it comes down to us as people. Just go out there and vote with your dollars. Show the studios what you want to see. If you don't like the things that are being neglected in in awards uh, in award ceremonies like this, it's not the Oscars' fault, to be honest. It's the studio's fault. It's the fans' fault, to a certain degree. And I mean, this, the studios really have the final say in what does and what does not get made. Unless it's an independent studio that comes out of nowhere and has a major major success, 
or if, if a director has enough clout to release a film under their own umbrella. Um, but if you want a big budget, big name kind of movie to have more representation of, of what you connect with, then it's just going to take time and it's going to take uh, a study, basically, to show correlation between A and B. And that's what it comes down to in the end. Yeah. And, and, and I heard a story while listening to the sports uh, sports podcast that I listened to, the Dan and Lim, Dan Lebitard show with Stu Gotts, where they brought up something about the Oscars that about Laura Dern, that Laura Dern's career, I'm too young to know this, and I don't know if you knew this, but Laura Dern actually was kind of shunned from the movie industry because she had a relationship with Ellen. Uh, oh, I did not yeah, know that. Yeah, because she comes from acting royalty. Uh, both of her, both of her parents are in the industry, and she was shunned after that came out. And she's kind of having, as of recently, a resur- a resurgence in her career, getting back into it. And she won last. She won on Sunday uh, an Oscar. And Dan was bringing this up on his show, and I was kind of floored that you know this is the, this is the things that Hollywood has done. But at the same time, it's it can't be the Oscars. It has to be these studios. You know? And it's even so much that, do you realize Denzel Washington doesn't have an Oscar? Wait. No. This man needs an Oscar. Yeah. It, 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 you know, I guess for an account... If if Denzel was in his prime today, he would definitely. I think he has to win an Oscar. And back then, yes, it could have been more of a popularity contest. That's why Leo never won. But I think for people to say the Oscars hasn't gone far enough, um, I think there's still a little bit to be given. But at the end of the day, I don't put the blame. I agree with you. The blame's not on them. The blame is on these studios, and sometimes the fans. But I I I, for me, my take is more on the studios. I can't, I can't give these studios a pass. They've got all this money in the world and all these focus groups. Like, who are these focus groups? Are they all like in the south in between mountain, mountain, you know, towns? <laughs> it's just all localized rural Tennessee, just those types of people. Yeah, where the nearest theater is an hour away. And I know that because that's what I had to do to go see a movie when I lived in the deep south. Oh, man, that was that was really personal. <laughs> well you know i'm just saying you know when i'm like trying to talk to people at work like hey did you see this movie They're like nah and i'm like wow i'm the only one who goes out of my way to see movies this you is committed chris you drove an hour you made a day of it just to go see the avengers I, that actually yeah the avengers and any other movie i would go i would i would make an event event of it but uh it's just even um, even Spider Into the Spider Verse, fantastic, best animated movie I've seen in a, probably ever. It made me feel so many great things, and it, and the protagonist is a black Puerto Rican kid from New York, and it's like the marketing for that movie I don't think was big enough. Like, why didn't every kid see this? Like, it was Frozen. <laughs> That's very true. This should have been. This should have been the comic book Frozen. It it should have been the comic book Frozen, and it's on these studios to be like, you know, these are the people who made the Lego Movie, who were the producers, Chris Lord and Fit, uh, or Phil Lord and Chris Miller. 
yes, Phil Lord and Chris Miller. They're like, you know what? We're just not going to market it that much. Like, shame on you, Sony. You should have marketed the hell out of this thing. Oh, you know they're going to do that for the second one. Yeah. Well, now they're going to do... We'll get to it. We have a story about that later. But... um, And our story's coming up. But you have any final thoughts on the Oscars that you didn't watch? Uh, That I I watched uh, vicariously through you. Yes. No, I mean, I've said it before. It's a popularity contest. I don't really see a, a really vital need for them. I'm glad that that there were a lot of very deserving people that were recognized for their talent and for their skill. Um, so in that respect, I'm very thankful for them. But at, at the end of the day, it's just a popularity contest for a piece, like for a, a, a piece of gold, basically. And I've, I don't know. It just it's a way for for studios to profit off of the talent of the actors outside of just the movie in a new way that's also televised to the world and. I could go on and rant about it forever, but I don't want to. I don't want to be that guy. I'll be that guy. Oh God! No, just kidding. Uh, yeah, my final thoughts is that uh, relatively weird and boring. The Eminem performance was good. Uh, it was funny to see Martin Scorsese look like he was falling asleep during the performance, and uh, the they had the first female composer, or not composer, but uh, orchestra director. Yes. First director perform at the Oscars uh, where she was in the pit performing all of the music for the uh, for composers on in a movie. Yes. Uh, while they were bringing up the nominees. And she was a performer. She was out there. She looks like Lady Gaga with the stuff she had on. I almost thought it was Lady Gaga for a second. It wasn't. But uh, yeah, that was uh, that was really cool to see. You know, maybe eventually uh, we'll have to bring a female on this show to keep up with the times this is a boys only club i'm sorry chris wow i was gonna see if we can invite your wife on but ruined nope all right welcome to this uh very masculine version of the summon up podcast This is where we talk about movies, shows, games, and whatever the heck we want, including leaving out John's wife. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Anchor, and YouTube. I know she's going to listen to this later, so it's funny. I am joined by my good friend John, and I am Chris, and we are your co-hosts for the day. John, how are you doing? I love you, Jill. (laughs) That's how John's doing right now. Uh, (laughs) uh, So, John, you tell us about our first story today. Okay, so, hard pivot. Um, so I, I read a story about how Tom Cruise is going to be even, he's going to be doing even more dangerous stunts in the next two Mission Impossible films in, in seven and eight. Um, I, granted, he has already, I feel like, topped every one of his performances from previous films in, in each of these new installments for this franchise. Uh, he's, he's been a producer uh, on this whole franchise since the start, which really in the end kind of gives him more control over how involved he is in his own stunts, uh, what things he's going to do himself, what things he's going to have somebody else do. I mean, there was that viral clip that went around of him jumping from uh, rooftop to rooftop and he landed and I believe he broke a rib 
he landed on it. No, he 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 broke he broke um he broke something in like his foot or his ankle. Yeah, and like he yeah. he he broke. I think he broke his ankle because then when he was able to get up, but in the she in the shot when he's running out of the out of frame, he's limping. Yes, which like when you think about it, like think about like the helicopter chase scene that they had in the last film, and the one take. Um, uh, skydiving scene that they also had in, in that compared to the free climb that he did in Mission Impossible 2 up the side of a mountain like it seems like night and day and in in the moment that seemed like a really cool stunt to see an actor free climb up the side of a cliff on his own com- in a complete danger and now that's not enough for people which is just, it just blows my mind um, what Wait, else was- are you saying this move that Tom Cruise reminds you of you said it it feels like night and day. Did you are you referring don't, to the movie Night and Day with Cameron Diaz? No. Where Stop. she's in a plane where everyone's getting beat up and she says occupado. Oh my god, why did you have to remind me of that? You're the one who referenced it and I think okay. that movie is funny. <laughs> that's We are talking about Tom Cruise. It is topical. I don't want to hear it. Uh, it fair. is topical. Anyways. So, by the time that Mission Impossible 8 is released in 2022 he will be 60 years old that i that makes me feel hurt emotionally and physically um i mean he's the j-lo of the male community god that's so true that's yeah he's the paul rudd of the action world he will never age um so he, I, I looked it up because I, I totally forgot. The first Mission Impossible film came out in 1996. So Oof. here's a little perspective for that. Like, you know how long Patrick Stewart and Hugh Jackman played their roles in the X-Men franchise? They only did that for 17 years from 2000 to 2017. Crew started four years before that. And by the time the last film comes out, he will have done it. He will have been Ethan Hunt for 27 years each mm. and each film progressively gets more and more dangerous for him and more and more physical for him um granted when mission possible 8 comes out it's more than likely that that's going to wrap up his story as ethan hunt it i don't i mean i don't know how he could continue this in that type of role beyond like into his 60s i i want to see i want to see tom cruise turn in have a ronald reagan moment where he believes for like a a year that he is actually ethan hunt because he was in those movies or he saw those movies kind of like ronald reagan thought he was in world war ii but he never went he never fought in world war ii or whatever it was the korean war yeah i mean look (laughs) he's he's a scientologist and i I don't know exactly where his head is at. So he he might literally believe that he is an Ethan Hunt, which is why he's trying to do all these things himself. Um, but in kind of thinking about his like replacement or like the, the end of that franchise, like it got me thinking about, do you remember that? Do you remember when Jeremy Renner was supposed to take over every, like every major franchise and everybody kind of put their chips in, in him and thought that he was going to like just become the next big thing? You mean the emotional and uh, the emotionless man that we all come to know and love, and then remember that he hits his wife. Yes, that Jeremy Renner. Uh huh. I remember. Yeah. yeah. Ooh, ooh. Yeah. Ah. You, you know, just Disney buried him. Disney. Yeah. Disney buried Jeremy Renner 
And here we are bringing him back to life just to put him back down in the grave. God, we haven't talked about this, but I did read that they have indefinitely postponed the Hawkeye TV series on Disney+. Plus. As, as they should. Justice yeah. for Johnny Jet. Donnie. Donnie Jet. <laughs> Donnie Jet. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so... So if you can't hear it in my voice, I'm kind of sick. <laughs> and um, that is my favorite sound take I've ever done. Donnie oh, Jet. Donnie uh, Jet. That's going to be a fun one. Johnny Depp. Justice for... <laughs> Johnny Depp. <laughs> oh, Amber Heard is is the new uh, Jeremy Renner. Oh God! So hard pivot back into the story. Um, this is so, an off the rails podcast, and I'm enjoying is, every moment of it. It's I know crazy. for you, for you, you're kind of you're probably like in your chair, like like sweating a little bit. But I'm having a blast. <laughs> I like my structure. What can I say? So. Christopher McQuarrie has been a writer-director for this franchise since Ghost Protocol in 2015. Um, he's been heavily involved in the series with Tom Cruise, and they have a great working relationship. So he's come out in, a, in an interview and said that Cruise, just to confirm it, is not going to space, nor does he need to. Aww. We're not going to go see him in a spaceship. We're not going to go see him uh, do what that Red Bull guy or that uh, that guy did with that Red Bull sponsored uh, basically like low level atmosphere jump. I don't think any of that. Um, but so they they've obviously been in communication all the time. And I think when uh, when Tom Cruise has an idea for a stunt or a, a thing that he wants to do, he he talks to Chris, Christopher McQuarrie, and they kind of go over the details. Um, so McQuarrie has said in an interview that between he and Cruz, uh, we figured out three obscene things that he's doing that I'm terrified of that make the helicopter chase scene in, in Mission Impossible Fallout look like Tinker Toys. Cruz is training, and he calls me and describes what he's doing, and I laugh and I cheer, and then I hang up and I puke in a bucket. He's training quite intensely right now. So, oh, no. like, just thinking about that quote, I... What do you think that he could possibly have planned that gets him that visceral visceral reaction like that? All right. So Tom Cruise is in this muscle car and he's driving in the jungles of South America Don't when do it. a rope bridge suddenly gives way. And somehow the rope bridge has a, a hook on the end of it that hooks to the bottom of his car. And he slingshots uh, across this canyon. Uh, on the rope, on the rope that is attached to the bottom of his car to get to the other side. You're doing a Fast and Furious thing, and I knew you were the minute you opened your mouth. Yes, that he's gonna do it without the special effects. It's just gonna be Tom Cruise in a car with a rope bridge as the hook, no special effects. God, you're you're absolutely right. I can totally see him watching some other just fantastical movie like that, and because thinking, oh, no, because no, no, jumping because jumping out. Jumping out of uh, a pod above Earth uh, that Red Bull did is not extreme enough for this man. You're just falling. No, he has to do something more extreme. Anyone can fall, you know? Yeah, I mean, he had to fall into a lightning storm and fall out. So he couldn't just fall. He had to do it around all of these, all of these dangerous things. It's the same thing as, like, anybody can take off in a plane. Not people can do it. From outside the plane. <laughs> oh god, that's so true. Um, wow. Okay, so is that is that your your final answer as far as what you think they have planned? Um, my final answer 
My final answer for Tom Cruise is he does do a lot of extreme stunts. I can't... Uh, if I were to guess, it'd have to do with something underwater. Because I don't think we've seen that yet from I him. I mean, there was that one scene where he had to go in that... I guess it was like a cooling tank to switch out the chip. And I, it was like two two Mission Impossibles ago. Um and they they tried to like he, he kept like losing it it kept falling out of his hands and it kept getting away from him so i think he had to stay underwater in the movie time at least for like three to five minutes so i mean like we've seen we've seen one major underwater scene but it could be maybe they get sharks involved maybe they get sharks with lasers uh, well freaking laser beams attached to their freaking heads i'm so glad you got that <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, I just, I mean, what, what do you think is going to happen? Because I, I would like to see, I would like to see Tom Cruise take it to more of a James Cameron kind of uh, idea of it, uh, insane. I mean, either I, I could see them doing like a lot of practical close up like knife fights where it's like a real knife and it's, it's like a one shot take of him fighting hand to hand with another skilled combatant. Um, just to like, I don't know, maybe they're going, maybe they're going smaller scale, but higher risk. Um, I could also see him doing, I, I, as jokingly as you brought it up, I could see him doing maybe more, uh, like practical car chase scenes, um, (laughs) that involve more stunts and like flips and like near misses of stuff. Um, I honestly don't see him doing anything with a, with a car. Really? Okay. Yeah, because uh, too many variables. It sounds stupid, but too many variables with a, a vehicle. So, so there's not as many vi- variables when you're free climbing up the side of a mountain. Uh, yeah. I will. I will say there are less variables in that. Okay. Fair enough. And it's. I'll say there are less variables when hanging onto the side of a plane as well. Yeah, that's true. And they did actually have him strapped in there. So yeah. he was relatively safe. Cars can be dangerous. I mean, uh, what is in the Quentin Tarantino movie? Uh, I think it was in, um, what's that What's that movie with the, I feel so, Kill Bill. Kill Bill yes. Volume 2. I think um, the actress, I forget her name. It'll, you got to get me. She was in Pulp no. Fiction. No, I'm going to let you just sit in this, marinate in the in the just forgetfulness. All right. Well, you know, the Uma Russian Thurman. Uma Thurman, thank you. Uh <laughs> Uma Thurman almost almost died uh while doing a scene in a car because the car was going over sand and she kind of lost control for a moment. I think she did injure herself. Okay, yeah, uh, I do remember hearing about that. But that's the thing about cars is like the small like I'm, you know, trained professionals do cars and they still get hurt. Um so it it, it does Cars, vehicles can be very dangerous, and I think vehicles so much more because they have wheels. There's traction, speed. There's a lot more. You could push them to a higher limit, but there's a greater there's a greater danger with them as opposed to hey, I'm going to hold on to the side of a plane. You could have a parachute with you. You could be strapped in. Um, it, I I just it, as crazy as it sounds in my head, it seems safer. <laughs> To be on the side of a plane than to be in a car going at insane speeds. That's fair. So then I, I guess that kind of leads to, to my next question where they've they've amped up the danger every single movie and they're going to continue to do so over the next two movies in the next couple of years. So 
if this is the end of Tom Cruise's Ethan Ethan Hunt, I keep wanting to say Ethan Hawke, and that's not that's not the same. Is that's that Tony Hawk's brother? No, that's uh, the guy from. Um, I think he was in Minority Report with Tom Cruise. Um, <laughs> More Tom Cruise references. I like it. Anyways, so do you see them kind of hitting the reset button uh, where they reboot and recast a brand new Ethan Hunt and kind of start from scratch after a period of like cool off time? Or do you see them um, kind of pivoting in the cinematic universe? Like what? So when they had the TV show, um, I believe in the 80s and 90s, they when they started this first movie in this franchise, it was set in the same world, but um, it introduced Ethan Hunt and Tom Cruise and that, that whole cast to where it kind of led to a natural progression into this franchise. Like, do you see them leading into another actor, another character, or do you see them hitting the reset button and just starting from scratch all over again? Mm. What's the studio that distributes the uh mission impossible series i want to say it's paramount if it's paramount Lionsgate, or anything like that i don't see that happening because tom cruise is the life and heartbeat of this if he wants to make another one he will i highly doubt that paramount would take such a big risk because they mostly are very calculated with their movies um yeah I, i i don't i don't see it being done in a tv show I can see it being having a reboot later on down the road, maybe a decade after Tom Cruise. And that's me being a little conservative, but I, I, I find it very unlikely to continue a similar saga. I imagine there could be a spinoff with other agents who were connected to Ethan Hawke, but or <laughs> Ethan Hunt, <laughs> Ethan Hunt. Dang it. Yes. <laughs> So that's what I'm saying, though, is that so originally it was a TV show that led into a series of movies. So are they going to continue the same universe or are they going to completely reset it and start from scratch? I think they're more willing to spin off than reset it and start from scratch. Okay, like we've seen it being done series getting rebooted like the X-Men, you know, kind of doing that and how successful it was for that reboot movie. Uh, Days of Future Past, and then seeing the terrible, terrible follow-up to it with Apocalypse. Uh, so, I, I don't think Paramount would let that happen, to be honest. Well, and I mean, yeah, well, that's kind of a, a not-so-great example, because that was more of like a reboot prequel, where they kept the same characters and storylines and just kind of... I don't want to say like introduced like time travel, but like they hit, they reset the things that they wanted to and then kept the things that they did. Um, they I'm, I'm just saying if you, if you put this in the hands of a mad lad studio, like Warner brothers, Oh hell yeah. You'll get a reboot. You'll get five reboots. <laughs> and if you give it to Sony, if you give it to Sony, you ha- you're going to have the uh, mission impossible, the amazing Ethan hunt. It's going to be great. Oh my God. The, no uh, I, mission impossible verse. The Mission Impossible. I, I really, I, I, Tom Cruise is such the is such a. He's done so well in his early career that he calls the shots now in his age, that he's calling the shots with these movies. Once they go away, who fills in the shoes? Even if they get past the reboot, that reboot is going to be so bad it's not going to continue. I mean, Jeremy Renner was supposed to continue it. 
and see how that went. That's very true. Well, I, I'm just I'm I'm just trying to I'm just trying to put in perspective because you know I know Hollywood likes reboots, but I Tom Cruise is the brainchild behind this. That's like saying you're going to make an MCU movie without Kevin Feige, and see uh, how bad those do. God, Sony. In, in forty years from now, when that does happen, I I can't imagine what it's going to be like. I'm yeah, it'll, it'll be true. But Kevin Feige will have a contingency plan. I don't think um, I don't think Tom Cruise is thinking about contingency. He's thinking <laughs> about doing. He's thinking about doing this until he's like, oh, I need a hip replacement. Kevin Feige's already got his uh his he's basically created an artificial intelligence like Jarvis where it's just him floating around and as a um, producer. I hope he does. Well, that'd be cool to get him his own Jarvis, but I'd like to see like uh uh what is it? Cal L's father? Oh, Jor-El. Jor-El from uh <laughs> Man, from of, Man Steel. of Steel. <laughs> it's just him following Tony Stark around, just popping up in a hallway. It's him following Robert Downey Jr. Like, how about fifty million? He's like, I'm not doing another Iron Man. Sixty million. You have just my negotiating <laughs> and haunting him the whole time. Yes, that'd be great. Yes. Well, you brought up Sony a minute ago, and so I'm going to hold yes. on to that that segue thread. Like it's it's holding on for dear life. Speaking of Sony spinoff movies, oh, well, we're getting from. And we're taking this off a Screen Rant article that was reported by ERC on Twitter. Um, Sony Spider-Man spinoff coming in 2021. So it's being reported that there will be another Spider-Man spinoff coming in an October release in 2021. And the spinoff is being preceded by Morbius and Venom 2 in 2020. Yes. An MCU Spider-Man movie in 2021. And then followed up by Into the Spider-Verse 2 in 2022. That's a, light, a lot of Spider-Man uh, coming out, even with Venom 2. Yeah. Uh, this will be the first live... Ho- this will hopefully be the first live-action movie if they choose to go that route since uh, Sony Spider-Man movie uh, The Amazing Spider-Man 2 in 2014, which is five... It doesn't... It feels like more than five years. So it, it, it's, it's been six years and it feels longer than that. So are you saying like by that, do you mean that it's the first Sony standalone Spider-Man movie there? So it's, it's just saying there's a spinoff. It doesn't say if it's going to be centered around Spider-Man. Yeah. So if, if the studio chooses to release more details, cause there's none else out there. And if it is centered around Spider-Man and if it is live action, it'll be the first one since the amazing Spider-Man two, which is kind to be, to be, um, to be done completely by Sony with no partnership with Marvel. What about Venom? Venom doesn't have Spider-Man in it. Well, that's what I'm saying. So, so you're trying to say that it's going to be a, Oh yeah. Cause if, just... if it's a spinoff centered because, okay. Because no, no movie right now is like solely Spider-Man except for the MCU ones. Yes. Yeah. Okay. They leased out those rights. Yes. Uh, I mean, if a spinoff means like Peter Parker's not in it or anything like that, then so be it. But there's a lot of speculation to go around with this movie because we know so little. Mm-hmm. And that's the kind of major detail or statistic that I'm taking from it is that Sony hasn't produced a live action Spider-Man centered movie since The Amazing Spider-Man 2, okay. which was 
six years ago, which is insane to me. Fair enough. They putting they're putting out Morbius Venom two, and even though Marvius Morbius is a MCU movie, like Venom two, uh, Into the Spider Verse two, like you're putting out all this other spinoff stuff, but we still don't have that main series because it's been given to the MCU on a leasing whatever deal. Um, but yeah, I I think it's kind of interesting, but uh, there are reports that you know speaking of their lineup, which. I think is an insane lineup of movies that Sony is going to distribute. Uh, Sony's reported to be working on a all female cast for the spider verse movie. What I think is that if you're going to think October, 2021, it really like the into the spider verse movie needs like two good years to fully like get, get handed or get animated. Like it needs to get the voice actors, get everything finalized. Cause it took, it took quite a lot of time to get the first into the spider verse done um so time wise unless they've already started working on it behind the scenes which would be ridiculous it's probably not going to be that female into the spider-verse spinoff because um, they've wanted to get like Haley Haley steinfeld back for that and she's super busy with uh the apple tv plus show um she won't even she can't even come back and do um be um kate bishop on hawkeye if they had wanted to do like a standalone thing with just her on that um so i don't think that it's going to be like an all-female thing for that what what i think it's going to be is kind of like another entry in the sinister six uh installment that they're trying to build i think it's going to be a craven the hunter movie um you've already seen a little easter egg with him in the morbius trailer and I, i believe in venom as well um you know that for years now, basically since Spider-Man 3, Sony has wanted to lead towards a Sinister Six movie or series of movies. Um, I think that's still their game plan. I think that they're trying to do it in a more uh, slow and kind of authentic way, which is good. But I think that that they're letting Marvel take the lead with like the primary Spider-Man movies, and they're going with the more like, villainous route because a lot like there's no other studio that's really doing that right now, so I think it's a good way to stand out from the crowd. Um, and depending on how Morbius does and how Venom Two does in the hands of Andy Circus, I think they might have something going for them potentially. Mm. We'll see. I, I mean, we will see. I just, I don't know. I with Sony's track record, the fact that they were like Venom was successful, I just I look at it as just like. Does Sony, did, I think Sony kind of accidentally grabbed that spot of Venom being uh, successful. I think people were like, oh, Venom from like Spider-Man. I'll go see that. And they're like, oh, ew, ugh. Or they saw like, oh, Tom Hardy's in it. It's got to be really good. And they're like, oh, not what I was expecting. Yeah. So well, we've discussed this before at length about, you know, uh, Sony in the future and speculation sinister six. And by the way, that, um, the, the Sony reported being on the spider verse movie is for the later 2022 movie. Oh, okay. Yeah. This other movie, we, we have no details at all. Um, so they could do it for the spider verse movie. Um, for this specific 2021 movie, I'm not sure. Uh, but you could be right that it could be a sinister six kind of team up or crave the hunter, but, Honestly, I don't think it really matters 
unless it's connected to a main series Spider-Man movie. The same thing how I feel with Venom. Like, it, the 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 target, like, if you're on a dartboard, the margin for error is so huge here. Yeah. Uh, for Sony, because they're pumping out material like crazy. It's kind of like one of those things is like, throw it at the wall and see what sticks. And by that time, you'll lose the trust of fans. And uh, we saw how that went for DC. Yeah, and I mean, I think that they... I mean, Venom, I think, was was an accident. And I think it was just successful enough to warrant um, continuing in that direction. But I think that with their with the change-up of giving Tom Hardy more creative control and bringing on Andy Serkis, I think that they're, at least on paper, moving in the right direction with that. And hopefully going to solidify the tone and like the style that they want for that movie. And then with Morbius, I mean, call me crazy. I do think that Jared Leto was a good actor in specific roles. Um, and I think that they have the potential to have a good hit on their hands or at least a hit, enough of a hit to continue in this direction. Um, so as long as they continue learning from their mistakes and take their time with it and don't try and just dive like headfirst into a Sinister Six team up, like do what Marvel, I mean, like I hate, I hate comparing everything to Marvel uh, all the time, but do what Marvel did where they slowly built up enough backstory and foundation for every one of their characters that when they came together, you knew enough of who each one was to care about the characters, first of all, and then to feel invested that you feel more entertained by seeing them all interacting because you know, like, you know more about each character, you know how each of them interacts on their own. And so now when they're interacting together, there's more complications. It's funnier. There's just much more, uh, much more depth and a lot more dynamic to it all. Um, so I, I hope that they're, it, that it's, this isn't going to be like just another team up thing. I hope it's another standalone entry that's adding to the catalog of what they already have. That's going to make the payoff down the road even bigger. I don't. I don't know about the this. I don't know too much about the standalone idea. I know that DC is now dabbling with it and it's kind of working, but for Sony, you know, with Spider Man and how big that name is, uh, I. I'm really unsure that I believe Sony can land this dismount unless they're getting help from Marvel, which I don't know if that's the case. And part of the deal is like, hey, you know, you help us give us those rights to Spider-Man and somewhere in a closet, like we'll consult on some of the movies you're trying to put out because Morbius is supposed to be part of uh, the MCU. Yeah, with its connection uh, with Vulture and everything. Yeah. Yeah, but like, look at all these movies: Morbius, Venom Two, you know, this spinoff movie, uh, the MCU Spider-Man movie in twenty twenty one, and then a Spider-Verse Two. Like, do you think that Sony is saturating the market with Spider-Man, and is it going to backfire that there's too much Spider-Man stuff? I think as long as they have a unique voice and that it doesn't feel just as familiar as it was with the last two iterations of Spider-Man. I think that it's not going to necessarily feel saturated. Um, I mean, it's a lot. And I think if it was, I think if it was Spider-Man in every one of these movies and you're just getting hammered over the head with Tom Holland, I think that some people would enjoy that. 
but I think that it would get old really quickly. So if if they've cracked the code and they happen to know exactly what they're doing by introducing the villains first and giving that perspective before you get to the hero, um, it might be a refreshing take on it. And it, I mean, I've I there were parts of Venom that I enjoyed, and I'm looking forward to Morbius and Venom two, if nothing else, out of sheer curiosity. Um, so I think by the time we get to this movie, depending on what it is, I don't I don't feel the burnout so far. And I, I could be wrong a year from now, a year and a half from now, but as of yet, I think I'm okay with what they're doing. Mm. Uh, well, uh, my take is that there are two ways I don't get burnout from this. You know, you do have the MCU, the two MCU movies. So you have three other movies that are not in line with that. I think those three other movies have to line up in some way. And in this, they're not. One of them is part of the Venom universe. Uh, the other one we don't have any details about, and the other one's an animated movie. I think that's diversifying a little bit too much. Um, like if you said these three other movies were Spider-Verse uh, animated universe, I'd be all in. And then the other situation is, is if you told me, which we've talked about this before, I want an all-villain universe of like the different comic book properties. Like the Sinister Six, yes. But I, I just want that to be the focus of a team-up. Like, let, you know, let's stop with the good heroes. Let's see the bad guys uh, and see their struggles with each other, being in the same universe and dealing with the good guys. I'm still a huge proponent of wanting to see that. If Hollywood wants to do something different, if comic books wants to do something different, that's it. Not in a Suicide Squad way. I think people are starting to catch on that that was the worst way to do it. Yes. So... Those are the only two ways. If it's it's all Spider Verse to me, or if it's uh, like a superhero, like to to not get into burnout. But I have yet to see. Maybe they pull out the dismount. Yeah, uh, to be honest, man, I do hope that they don't include, like, they don't rush to include Tom Holland in these villain movies. I think that if they, well, I think you're right. If they can do it well enough, where the villains stand up on their own two feet on their own and they can tell an interesting story, I think it's a really unique way to tell a comic book story that doesn't include this name-brand hero uh, around every corner, and it, and it allows you to go into more like character depth for the villains, which, I mean, besides besides like the relatability of, Black, uh, of uh, Killmonger and Black Panther, there really hasn't been that type of story told before where you have a villain that's relatable and that you connect with and also is going around doing all these horrible things, um, <laughs> but done in an entertaining way. Uh, so I'm, I mean, I, man, like I said, I, I don't want them to throw Spider-Man in there until they've earned it and they've told good stories with just the villains. Um, I, I really just want, Tom Holland to stay out of it, let the villains tell their own story. And I think, I think if Sony throws him in there too soon, it's just going to fail again. And I don't know if they can do this a fourth time. Yeah, uh, I would agree. But, you know, speaking of Tom Holland, um, do you think if they make this, do you think if they center this spinoff movie around the web slinger, uh, you know, whether it be with Tom Holland or a different type of Spider-Man, do you think, Sony will rebound into making good Spider-Man movies if it if it is indeed centered around the web slinger. I mean, 
I don't I don't want it to be Tom Holland. I and I don't know if they could do like a Miles Morales type of story like they did with Into Ooh, the Spider-Verse. I think it would be, be cool. It would be cool, but he's in the Ultimate Universe and all of the villains are different. So either you retcon that and just include him in the main 616 universe or you somehow set it set it in like a version of the Ultimate Universe. I I don't know. Like I I want them to do a Miles Morales live action story and I I I really think that would be a really interesting movie and take on the character in a way to kind of pass the torch from Tom Holland to someone else. Um, but I, okay, let me let me phrase it differently. So if if they have Spider Man in this Venom verse or villain verse or whatever, then I think it would be I think it would be better to include Miles Morales and let Tom Holland primarily stay with the MCU making random cameos in the Sonyverse every once in a while, but not being the primary Spider-Man. Hmm. I think it's a good take, you know, uh, you know, uh, I could live with that. I think that'd be cool to see more Miles Morales, Miles Morales. Yeah. In, Cause uh, like in that we, universe, we saw in into the Spider-Verse. There is a whole multiverse of Spider-Man out there. And I think to try and keep rehashing the same one over and over and over again in live action, it gets old really quick, and I think that they have such a unique and diverse set of characters to play with that if they don't diversify their own characters, then it's just going to be the same. Like It's going to be like eating a PB&J sandwich for lunch every single day for <laughs> years and years and years. Like Eventually, it's going to get old. I, I'm going to attach a condition with my prediction that if, if Venom 2 sucks then Sony will not rebound um, from anything that it makes. You know, apart from the MCU, all the Sony stuff, if Venom 2 sucks, then they're not going to land this dismount. They're going to fail. Yeah, it does also seem like, it does, uh, seem like they're getting a little ahead of themselves by saying that they've got all these future dates set and they have all these plans and everything when, like, you had one good accident with Venom and you really need a more like a stronger track record to show that you've earned all of like the expanded universe you're trying to build. So we'll see. Yeah. And they're promote. It's, it sounds like they're promoting more Venom two rather than spider verse two. Well, I mean, they haven't even started production primarily on that. So at least like having anything concrete down. So I think when they get the ball rolling a little bit more with that, then they're going to hype it up like crazy. Um, but for now, I think they want to take it movie by movie and they haven't even, they haven't even put like a teaser out for Venom 2. They'll probably do that with, with the Morbius movie because Venom 2 is coming out in October. Morbius is coming out in the next couple months. So you know what it feels like? What? It feels like Lucasfilm is heading Sony right now. Oh no. And it's just like, yeah, Brian Johnson was great. We got him three movies signed on. He's got a trilogy, and he's got a trilogy, and Kevin oh, Feige has a movie. We're coming out with this movie that we don't know. Like, it, that's you brought up a really good point. Like, it just seems like they're slating all these releases, and you're like looking at them, like, how are they going to pull this off? That's what I'm. Th- it feels like Star Wars right now. Oh God, I hadn't even thought about that, but you're right. Oh, that makes me worried. Here, let me get that. Let me get that disgusting taste out of your mouth, uh, John. What are you watching? Oh, that. Ooh, I feel better now. Um, <laughs> so, 
speaking of things that make me feel things, I, uh, Jill and I finished The Good Place. We watched the finale and it just, it felt right. I was, I was really satisfied with it. It, it was, it felt earned, I think. And a lot of finales feel forced, but this just felt like, like a, a really good progression based on the whole history of the show and like from the beginning i tried to i tried to like say well this is what's going to happen in this order and they still caught me off guard for a lot of it and it's just a really enjoyable show i really like mike shore um what's it about so it's it's about these four people that die and they end up in the good place and I don't want to spoil anything for you if you don't really know anything about it. But I really don't. Basically, it's about... But I've heard people talk about it. Yeah. So if you want to watch it, cool. Get through the first season, and then we'll talk a little bit more. Um, but it's their experience with the afterlife, and it, it gets uh. a lot like very philosophical because one of the characters is a philosophy teacher or lecturer, and so he's trying to teach them... Um, basically, he's trying to make them better people by teaching them uh, ethics, and so it's their struggle to kind of become good people when they don't feel like they are. Um, hmm. And they go through all these hijinks and everything, and it's not what you think it is. And um, it it's just a really thought-provoking, well-written show that I don't think we have a lot of these that have, that start from a good place and end in, in a good place. Um, but... It, it's a story that knew where it was going from the start and you feel like it's not rushed it's not forced it's not dragged out in any places it's just a well-paced well-written show hmm did jill like it she really did yes wow i might have to get into it then you definitely should and speaking of things you're seeing what are you watching so when I have to announce that I've been watching, it's something I've lied to a bunch of friends over the years um, out of fear of uh, retaliation. You're coming clean, Chris. I have to come in clean. Now, I've told some people the truth about this, but I forget who those people were. But for the most part, when people ask me, yeah, you know, all these movies, I'm like, yeah, they were so great. Over the weekend, I watched two movies that I think I definitely one of them I lied to people that I saw. And that was Toy Story 3 and Toy Story 4. Oh my gosh. I had never seen Toy Story 3 and it's been years. And, uh, you know, Toy Story 4 came out last year and I watched it on Disney Plus along with Toy Story 3. So I lied. I know I lied that about that to a few friends. You know, one of my friends here in Florida, I lied to. It was like, yeah, Toy Story 3 is so good. And in my head, I'm like, I did. I know. I have no <laughs> idea what it's about. Um, but. I watched them back to back and I watched them like in my bed, like on my laptop. So like, so it was like kind of like super comfy, you know, I was not feeling too good this weekend. Yeah. So, um, it was great to watch toy story three cause I had tears in my eyes from some of the scenes. It was really powerful. And so then like I had, I had, I had like a uh, tear lines on my face, like on the side. Cause it was, it was, it was a really good story. It made me, it made me cry. And then I go into Toy Story 4, and the same tears go over the same lines. I'm just like, it's like a tear, new tears over the dry tears. And it's just, uh, it was emotional. Oh, wow. They were good. They were good movies. I like the, I like the message of the, 
of the fourth one, despite it being weaker than the third one. I really liked Toy Story 3 a lot. It was yeah. so good. No, it's and it's such a... Mexican buzz. So great. <laughs> Man, I still haven't seen 4, but I, I've, I've heard good things about it. I mean, like, it's definitely hard to live up to the hype of 3 with that ending. But, I mean, it's good to know that they've they didn't just completely fall on their face and it's an Oscar winning award, Oscar award winning movie. So it can't be that bad. I think the, I think the comedy, I think the comedy in four was more for adults. Like there were a lot of jokes in there that I was just like, okay, that's, that's pretty good. Like it's something that like us as, uh, uh, that we look at, it's very situational comedy Mm, okay whereas like uh toy story 3 just like it's comedic but it also it's it's more emotional for sure um where three is about kind of uh survival and looking for a good life four is is completely different about like sacrifice um and purpose a little bit about uh you know what it means to help others and yourself and you know things along that line. So, uh, and three is also more about family too. Uh, so for, for me, like I, I enjoyed, I, I thought three was a much better movie, nice but I enjoyed movie. the, I enjoyed the message for me personally of toy story four. I'm definitely going to check that one out then. Yeah. You should check it out. But for now we bid you adieu. Thank you for listening to the Summit up podcast. And we will see you next week. Bye, guys.